Colossians 3 here. We've been looking at verses 12, and we're going to go all the way down to 17 eventually. But uh, I'm going to start and just go back through what we've, what we've looked at so far and point out a couple of things that I've seen along the way uh, as preparing for tonight's lesson. So verse 12, Colossians 3. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is a bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight. To be able to come here and freely worship you tonight, Lord. We uh, pray for those that are uh, suffering right now due to restrictions of them being able to assemble together, Lord. But thank, Lord, we thank you that we're able to be here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you'd use me in this lesson and teaching tonight and that you'd be edified in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our lesson here in lesson number 10 is, the title of it is, A Stack of New Clothes. And in verses 12 through 14, uh, Paul gives us a list of some of the characteristics of a spirit-filled believer that will show forth toward fellow believers. And that's what we've been covering these last few weeks. And at the very end of 14, or well, the beginning of verse 14, he says, Above all things, these things, put on charity, which we've discovered to be love. So first thing that I want to point out before I dive off into an immediate introduction rabbit trail, there's about a third of this that'll be a rabbit trail introduction and two-thirds to be the lesson for tonight. But what I want to say is the New Testament chapter and verse markings. We've I've talked about this in the past in our study on Galatians. These were added by a man named Stephanus in the 16th century for our New Testament, where we have what we call chapter 3 in Colossians comes from there. Prior to that, this is one continuous letter, um, as as Paul had originally penned it, and as it was translated later. So these chapter markings, verse markings, allow us to uh, have have a have a reference point in Scripture. So to know what John three sixteen is, everybody knows what John three sixteen is, but now you can point to it and find it uh, easily. So if you have, some people have Bibles that have little thumb tabs, index tabs on your Bible here. And those can help you really be a quick page turner, right? If you have a Bible drill, speed drill, you're trying to find a page. The people that have the thumb indexes here, they, they, they win out over everybody else. And they, unless you've got somebody who's just really on top of things. Um, but right, we have those as our chapter divisions and verse divisions. So I don't believe these are inspired. They're interesting where they're placed. I think some of them are misplaced and in breaking and breaking the thought train of the author of the letter. Uh, so I don't consider them inspired, but I want to point out a few things. The interesting places where they can be found can also be um, add interesting emphasis to the passage. So in, in this section of the text, and, and a little bit before is where we're going to start just reviewing what I want to point out. Back in verse 9, Paul writes, lie not one to another, seeing that, well, or because, ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Then in verse 10, we have this conjunction, and, right? And, we would say and in English, we would say e in Spanish, we would say eh 
in Italian, we'd say, I don't know what else in some other language. But there's, it's a very common conjunction. And in Greek, it's one of those words that I can pick out really easily looking at Greek. It's chi, kappa, alpha, iota. Um, I'm not well-versed in Greek by any means. I recognize letters, and I can recognize certain sight words. And this would be one of them. Theos would be another one. Christos would be another one. You know, pretty, pretty basic things here, God and Christ. Um, Jesus for Jesus. All these things in, in the Greek New Testament. So there are some sight words that you can pick out here. But the interesting thing that I want to point out here is that, <clears throat> so it's one of those words that you can easily recognize. So we get more information about these two connected thoughts in verse 9 where it says, put off the old man with his deeds, and then in verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So what I find interesting here about this leading and in a verse, right? You have a verse that starts with an and. If you've had any sort of formal English training, that's a big no-no to start out with and or but or all of these other sorts of things, which are common, the common parlance, what we, how we would speak naturally would be. And I'm going to do this and that, and we would just break our sentences up in speech naturally that way. The written English word doesn't lend itself to any grammar policeman out there to, to, to start out with conjunctions of, of new sentences or new thoughts, or in this case, break in the verse structure. So what I find interesting here about this leading and, both found in verses 14 and 15, this is the thing that I find interesting. In music composition, there's, there's a concept of using an upbeat accent to try to drive the rhythm of a piece. So if you count in 4-4 four, four time, quarter note gets the beat, you'd have 1, 2, 3, 4. But you would have the ands in between there to denote eighth note markings. 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and. And in certain rhythm techniques, syncopation and, and the rest, you're emphasizing offbeats often or emphasizing particular structures to try to push through the music itself. What I think is going on here with these ands at the beginning of these verses, again, not inspired where the, where the verse delineations are, but I think it, tr it leads to pushing Paul's ideas through. It's like an upbeat accent to the thought that Paul is putting forth here. So if you look at verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man kind of an accent right there. You have this, you have the, the old man there, but, and you put on the new man. That's the thing you want to be focusing on there. Putting a little bit more emphasis on what uh, the good part of this, this co-joined co sentence. So here we see quite a few verses in this passage of lesson 10 that start with and. So after Paul lists out some spirit-filled believers characteristics in verses 12 through 13, he begins verse 14 with, and above all these things, put on charity. So this is, this is kind of pushing through. This is, this is an additional thing. It's the next thing. We're moving forward into the next uh, thought here. Uh, in this case, I believe putting on charity to be the highest uh, form of this. Um, let's see if I'm getting ahead of myself here. And propels Paul's exhortation to the Colossians to make charity first in your Christian characteristics. Charity is the one 
that all other characteristics, all these clothes that we've been talking about metaphorically, follow from. Right? If you have love for one another, if you have charity for one another, all of these things that are listed in verse 12 through 13, the, the fruit of the Spirit, all the rest of it is going to follow after that. If you don't have love for one another, if you don't have charity for one another, none of that is going to follow naturally. We, we don't do these things naturally. All right, so sidebar. And we move on. <clears throat> so we're on um, main point number two, new conduct. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17 here for the remaining uh, parts of the lesson. We'll, tonight we'll just be looking at verse 15. So I think I've made the point before, but the, the, the teacher's guide makes the point about clothes. I think the... To be honest, I think the clothes metaphor here is a little bit over, is very drawn out in this case. Uh, characteristics, um, qualities, these would be better, I think, uses of the word. Uh, to refer to clothes so much is just a little bit kind of weird. There's, I mean, yes, you can put on a shirt and a tie and a, and a, a suit jacket, maybe an overcoat, you're continuing to put on clothes, but... Um, these are things that don't necessarily stack up layers. They're just composite characteristics that we should be putting on. They're not necessarily built one on, on another, although they could be. Uh, just, a, just a little side note. I think that the clothes metaphor is a little bit overdrawn and, and used. So <clears throat> the statement here that the, the teacher's manual says is, clothes make the man, as the saying goes. Right? Has anybody ever heard that? Right, clothes make the man. You, you shop at such and such uh, menswear department to get that that suit that will just propel your career, right? You ever heard those types of commercials? Won't name any 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 names of anybody, but um, that's kind of the the or or you need this particular look to show off who you really are on the inside. <clears throat> so what I want you to imagine is, imagine a man wearing a dress blue uniform. Maybe it's a dress white uniform in certain circumstances. Dress blue uniform. And on his shoulders, there are stars right up here. He's a Hollywood actor playing the part of a general officer. Does the suit do the clothes that he's wearing make him a general? Of course not, right? It's not, in, in our, our sense, that, that is a myth dispelled here. Clothes make the man. No, they do not. Um, but when you consider the, the other side of the coin, when applied to the Christian life, putting on the qualities and characteristics seen in verses 12 through 14 will make us better and stronger and more effective Christians. Putting on those things and, and yielding to Christ um, leads us to be more like him. So we're putting on his characteristics and qualities that he gives to us and yielding to his spirit, that makes us more like him. In that sense, putting on these metaphorical clothes, it does make us more like Christ. <clears throat> so the sub-bullet here item is esteem one another. Here in verse 15, it starts out with our upbeat accent word of and. So 
So we said we saw earlier that and above all these things put on charity in verse 14. Now verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So let's focus on just that first part of the verse here. The peace of God. So the question is, what is the peace of God? Interestingly, reading through many commentators on this verse, they really try to do the textual critic of this particular passage. They'll say, not necessarily say better manuscripts, but they'll say the Alexandrian and the Vaticanus manuscripts in the place of peace of God, they would have peace of Christ, which is how they have that here. But, you know, we trust that God can say what he wants to say, that he can preserve his word, as he said he would do, that we have his preserved word here in our King James Bible. I find no need to, to criticize in that sense. So let's just trust that God can say what he wants to say in his word, and we'll leave it as, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So what is the peace of God? So the question might lead to saying there's two different possibilities, maybe more, but let's just focus on two. The peace, the first one might be the peace that God gives to every believer at salvation. That a relationship with God has been restored through Jesus Christ and that we are now that we now have peace with God. So prior to that we're lost, right? We're, we're fighting against God. We're an enemy of God. We have no hope in the world. Our eternal destiny is secured. It's a place called hell. And at that, you can't have peace. I can remember to the time when I was unsaved, prior to being saved, and not having peace with anything, running from things, trying to find... Um, contentment in things or people or places or work or you name it things stuff right things uh, you know if if only I'd been a bit more diligent in study that that had already been discussed and written about many centuries before you consider Solomon who wrote about things under the sun he went and tried to find out, is there something under the sun that can satisfy me? Is it money? Is it people? Is it other possessions? Is it houses? Is it, what is it? Is there anything under the sun, material, that can satisfy me? And what was his answer? No, there is nothing. Right? Knowing God and being at peace with God is what, knowing God is what I'll say, brings peace with God. The only thing that can satisfy. So that rest in Christ, that we rest in Christ from our struggling against God through faith on His Son, faith in Jesus Christ to, for forgiveness of sin, that's what brings lasting peace. That's what this world needs. And Brother uh, Chris taught on this on Sunday morning, but Romans chapter 5, again, my, my favorite chapter in the entire, again, not inspired delineations here, but. Chapter 5, there, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's it right there. That peace that this world is looking for, we look around, right? Um, I, I don't know about you, I'm just, I'm appalled at the situation of our country today. Uh, people <laughs> so-called peacefully protesting. We know the truth on that. It is, it is outright 
violence and rioting and, and lawlessness. Claiming to want peace, like if you only give us this, then we'll stop and we'll have peace. If you do this, this, and this. And, you know, if there's, if there's one place other than the book of Romans to go point somebody to go read, it would be the book of Ecclesiastes. The things you're looking for, you're not going to find peace in that. You're not going to find contentment in things or circumstances. It's not there. And just before Romans 5, 1, in, in verse chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then we can go, therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. It is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He willingly went to the cross. He took the burden of our offenses toward God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took those to the cross, laid down his life, and took it up again. And because that has happened, we have the opportunity to have peace with God. And the only way to do that is to call out for forgiveness and, and just say, Lord, I've, I've, I've sinned against you. I've done wrong and evil and wicked things, and I need your son to forgive me. Call out to you and just ask for your forgiveness. Simply in that and acknowledging that fact of what, what this entire Bible here talks of gives a person that eternal, lasting peace. That's what this world needs. The gospel of peace is good news. Romans 10.15 and Ephesians 6.15. You can look those up later. We won't go there for right now. But So peace with God, possi a possibility of what we could consider here, the peace of God. Let that rule in your hearts. Colossians 3.15. The other one could be, and, and consider this too in the context here of what Paul is writing about, how we should... Um, have bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. So the context here is having peace with fellow believers. Maybe this fits more appropriately in the immediate context of the, of the passage here. The peace, peace with fellow believers. So if we put those things that are listed here in Colossians 3 to practice, if we are long-suffering with one another, if we have humbleness of mind, if we're not prideful, like, I'm, I'm right, I know I'm right, and just humble yourselves to the other person. You know what? The, the most interesting thing I can say about work is that I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm wrong. Often, I don't know all the answers. And I, I think that to be able to say that is the is, is, is really the beginning of, of having some sort of wisdom in all things, right? You recognize your frailties and your faults. Recognize that you don't know everything. There will always be somebody out there that is smarter than you. They will know one more fact. They will know one little more thing about things, and, and that's okay. That's maybe a point that we all need to come to. There are smarter people. I realize that. I think I've said sometimes in going through school and all the studies that I've done, um, the phrase that comes to mind is, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And I, I, but I think 
with God in searching his words that he's preserved for us, that we can know him better by searching and studying it. There's an endless and exhaustive amount of knowledge contained within his word. If we just but open it up and read it, study, trust him to speak to us through his spirit in understanding it, we'll know more, and one day we're going to know a whole lot more. And that's going to be awesome. We'll know him better, we'll see him as he is. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about anybody else here, but I, I certainly am. So, if we peace with fellow believers, if we put the things here in, in Colossians 3 together with the fruit of the Spirit and other places that it, the Bible speaks of our interaction with fellow believers, and I would even extend that to the lost world around us to a degree, right? To not exercise some of these qualities toward an unbeliever would be a stumbling block to them, I believe. So just because somebody is mean to you doesn't mean you need to be mean back to them. So show kindness to them. Might lead them to the Lord eventually. So having peace with God through Jesus Christ is what, is, is what allows people to have true and lasting peace with other fellow saints. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The first thing, though, is you got to take a hold of salvation can't have lasting peace without knowing the everlasting Father, without knowing the Prince of Peace. You have to know him first before you can have peace. So in Paul's final greeting to the Colossians in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, at the very end here, verse 11, he writes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect or complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So knowing God as the God of peace and the God of love is to begin to understand what peace and love are. If you know God, you're going to start to be able to understand what, what love is. God is ultimate love. And to understand what peace is, to be able to have peace, to know peace, you can begin to understand that. To fully understand it, I'm not sure on this side of it, I'm certain on this side of eternity, I don't know that we'll fully grasp that. On the other side of eternity, well, we'll find out. Um, but you cannot know peace and love until you know God, because God is love and is the ultimate expression of love. And I would also say that God is. God of peace and the ultimate expression of it. So here in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, we see Paul exhort the Corinthians to be of one mind. And in Colossians 3, 15, to the which ye are also called in one body. So I'm going to tie these two things together here. Be of one mind and live in peace. Because we are called one body, in one body as uh, Colossians 3, Says we should set aside our differences in day-to-day -day matters and stop bickering about meaningless, meaningless nonsense, right? I've heard stories from people here of churches that have split over colors of carpet or various other nonsense. I mean, we have blue carpet in here. I'm fine with blue carpet. Um, I could be fine with most any color carpet. What does the color of carpet matter in the, in the grand scheme of things? 
is the color of carpet hindering the gospel from going forward? That would be the only question in my mind that you would have to have. If, if that were a true statement, the color of this carpet is hindering the gospel from going forward. Well, now we need to sit down and talk about it. Uh, but other than that, really, what, what, what's the point of bickering over something like that? And I'll put out there too. So I'm an OSU graduate, and considering the things of Colossians 3 and this verse here in 2 Corinthians, that I should live in peace with fellow believers. That includes University of Oregon fans. Right? I can say without reservation, U of O has the better football team. It's, it's, it's quite apparent, right? Uh, when, when did the Beavers last win the Civil War? I think one time since we've lived here. I think it was one time. Anyways, but what does that matter? If we have a brother who, who champions the, the Ducks in football, what does that matter? What does a football game matter in the grand scheme of getting the gospel forward? I'll even say, too, this is a harder one to swallow. Ohio State has the better football team than Penn State. It's obvious, right? There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But if that were to hinder my relationship with somebody to share the gospel with them, if I'm holding on to my pride of the Nittany Lions are the best ball, football team out there, and that would hinder me from talking to an Ohio State fan, that's, that's wrong. That's a sin right there. So let's not let petty things, Ford trucks or Ram trucks or Chevy trucks, right? I think I've said in here I'm kind of a, a, a trader. I, I have a Chevy car and a Ford SUV. I'm just waiting on my Dodge pickup truck. I saw a good deal on one the other night. Um, that way I can, I can be totally confused on my allegiance toward, toward uh, auto, auto manufacturers. No, but, but, but seriously, right? What, what does it matter if, if we have some sort of bickering disagreement with another? And maybe you've had, had one with somebody over something. What does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Right? If it's hindering the cause of Christ, if it's hindering the gospel from going out, going out, if it's hindering the growth of a fellow believer, set it aside. It's not worth it. You know, Jesus Jesus saved us, and we should be living for him, not living for a Saturday afternoon, which aren't happening this year anyway. So, right? There's no football this year. It's a good thing. So, so I don't want the nonsense of my pride to get in the way of my relationship with Christ and with fellow believers. And through reading our Bibles, praying, and gathering together to worship God, that old man that, that, that hangs on to that pride can be supplanted and we can lift up the new man, lift up Christ. So Colossians 3.15 at the very end it says, and be ye thankful. So being thankful is key to letting God's peace rule in our hearts. An unthankful spirit disrupts harmonious relationships with God because it communicates to God that we aren't happy with the circumstances and people it's brought into our lives, right? You're unthankful about your situation. Boy, if there aren't, like, how many fingers get pointed out this way and, and get pointed back at me at the same time? So know that this stings much more for me to say these things, because it's very true. Uh, 
if we're unthankful or unhappy in the circumstances that God has placed us in, that's on us because we're not uh, we're not uh, prayerfully connected to Him. We're not um, we're saying that that uh, God, this isn't a situation that I want to be in. You need to change circumstances for me, right? That's that prideful, arrogant attitude that we can have, that we can all have. But right, our prayer should be not only change circumstances for me, but also change me for the circumstances that I'm in. Right? Help me to understand where you place me, why you place me here, why you've allowed these things to come in my life, and allow us to go forward. Right? It's not always about me. Actually, in the Christian life, it's not about me at all. It's about Christ and what he has for me, so, and for, for each of us. So you but we need to thank him and trust him for no matter for whatever comes our way, right? It's he, he's allowing things into our lives. He's causing things to be there for a reason. Uh, sometimes we don't understand. But it, it, it's good to just continue to seek after him, seek him in prayer, seek him in his word, seek him in counsel of others, other godly brothers and sisters. So nothing better tends to promote peace than gratitude for God for his mercies, written by Albert Barnes, who's one of his commentary. I thought it was a very fitting fitting thing. It's If you want to be at peace, somebody who's at peace is going to have a very thankful circumstance. Right? You can have somebody who has little in this life as far as possessions. They are run down whatever, uh, the opposite of what our society lives up today, but can be at complete peace because they're thankful for what God has for them. Maybe it's not the best that this world has out there, but they can still have peace because they're right with God. They're trusting Him in all the circumstances that, that they, they have in their life. But that's a mark of a, a person who's spirit-filled and uh, is something to aspire to. Things don't always go our way. This election coming up might not go the way I would like it to go. But we can still trust that God has his reasons for doing what he's doing. Uh, right? If he, if he doesn't come this evening, we can trust him that he has a purpose for it. We may not know it, but we can trust him that it's going to be for our good. So question number 15 Um, you guys can answer this. There was a lot of things in the book that I'll maybe talk or talk a little bit about. But uh, Colossians three fifteen, what comes to mind when you read the command to let God's peace rule in your heart? Does anybody have anything they want to share for that? Sister Lynn. Yeah, when God's God's word, what we know of Him to be true, rules our lives rules our lives, right, peace will follow, and that's, that's very true, right? if you know and trust in God, what you see in his word that is revealed to you, peace will come, right, and trusting in him, the interesting thing about this in the, the teacher's manual, spent a lot of time talking about that phrase, rule in your hearts, and 
the Greek word, don't ask me to pronounce it, it's not one of my sight words, my three sight words that I know. Um, talks about rule as not in the context of rule as in a king or a sovereign, but in terms of an umpire or a, uh, an arbitrator. Uh, or in this case, one commentator mentioned that it was in the context of the times that this letter was written, Olympic Games, somebody who's an efficient in a game to call who's the winner of a particular race or a particular uh, circumstance there. But the idea here being to be the arbiter of your life. If you have peace, the peace of God, if you have peace with God, if you have peace with fellow believers, then that will rule your decisions and how you act and treat and your mannerisms and, and everything else that goes along there. So that was, that's where that, the rest of the context of that verse goes. So reign in hearts when, is a, is a, when a governing principle restrains turbulent passions, right? If, if the peace of God is reigning in your heart, it is, if it is the arbiter, if it is the judge, the umpire calling balls and strikes in your life, that, will, that peace of God will restrain turbulent passions. You won't have to lash out. You won't feel compelled to lash out, right? Anger, wrath, and revenge, those will all be supplanted. You'll be able to allay and moderate and compose differences, right? That things, bad things are going to happen. You're going to have trials. It's how you react to it that shows you where you are with the Lord. Are you at peace with Him? Are you in His Word? Are you, are you, are you studying it? Yeah, peace with them through that, that you can, when, you, when a trial comes along, do you react or do you prayerfully and thoughtfully consider your actions? So this world wants you to react, right? I think I've talked about reaction videos on YouTube, foolishness in my opinion. So-and-so reacts to such-and-such. Such. What, what do I care? Doesn't, doesn't, it's not edifying. So in closing, we'll finish up on question number 16 here. <clears throat> and it asks us to read through Ephesians 4, verses 6 and 7. So Ephesians 4, 6 and 7 read, One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ. So question number 16 in your books here. This is a, a, just a personal experiential question here. Describe a time when you pause to thank God for something troubling and thereby experienced peace. Anybody have anything they want to share? Pastor. get an answer to prayer, right? The answer is to prayer, yes, no, wait. 
waiting ones to home, right? Clear answers, we all like clear answers, right? At, at work, I design analog circuits where they're kind of somewhere in the middle here. The digital guys drive circuits that are a concrete zero and a concrete one. It's either false or it's true. It's either a yes or a no. And they have it easy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but in the circumstances here of, of, of uh, thanking God for something troubling and thereby experience peace, uh, for me, the last week has been difficult in, in trying to understand what this all means. Is, is the circumstance here to drive me to, consi to, to consider something else? And, and, and that's hard. Change is hard. Just pray and continue to pray for God's leading there. I hope you all will too. Of what He would have for us. Um, I don't know where this will lead, uh, but I'm, I trust Him that He's got our best interests in heart. He, he'll He'll places where He wants us to be. Maybe that's right here. Uh, so continue to trust trust God even when the times are tough. The decisions are difficult. The future uncertain, but know that he knows you, he loves you, and has what he has what he wants for you, and it will be for your good in the end. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our, our lessons here tonight, for being able to assemble and worship and praise you, to learn and grow closer to you. Lord, we thank you for just Paul's just exhortation about peace with you and, and knowing peace with you is to know Jesus Christ as Savior, first and foremost. To gather together as one body because we have that unifying spirit all living within us as spirit-filled believers, Lord, that we can, we can meet in unity, we can trust in these things that have been outlined, we can be humble, we can forbear one another, we can be long-suffering, all because you live with inside of us, Lord. We thank you just because it's it's good to be able to thank you, Lord, to, to thank you for things you allow into our lives, to thank you for all you've done for us, to thank you for our salvation that enabled us to have life everlasting. Lord, we thank you for our evening here tonight. Pray that you'd uh, bring us home safely and, and uh, that we would continue to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray.